0: Wessex LMC's supporting you and your practice. Welcome to the audio podcast of the Practice Manager webinar recorded on January the 6th. Welcome to our first webinar of 2021. Um, We've actually decided next week, the next couple of weeks, um, we won't actually run another Practice Manager webinar on the 20th of January, which is kind of when it would be, uh, if we're doing alternate weeks, give you a bit of a break. If there's anything urgent we feel that would be really helpful to let you know, we'll do a little podcast. Cast and send that out so you can listen to that at any time. And then the next thing will be a news um, update that Nigel will be, will be bringing on the 27th of January. So that'll be the next one. Um, and delighted that um, Nigel's with us to start with to do an introduction and um, a summary of COVID. If you, could, if you could do that, please, Nigel, that would be lovely. Yes,
1: yeah, thanks, Louise. Um, I mean, it doesn't need me to tell you if you just read the news, I think you'll be well up to date with what's going on. Um, the level of COVID in our area. Um, has increased significantly over the last two weeks, and particularly over the last week. Uh, Some areas have, so the Isle of Wight and the Frimley system have, um, those areas have increased hugely, Um, you know, going, I think Rushmore is the highest area with about 1,100 per 100,000, and the Isle of Wight went from 20 to over 400 per 100,000 in the space of about 10 days. So the new variant, uh, as everybody knows, is much more infectious than the the ordinary COVID-19 and is spreading, uh, which is putting huge pressure uh, on primary care, on general practice, which probably is why we haven't got that many people on the call today. Um, Also, the impact on community and the hospitals. Uh, We're actually having people transferred into our area from Kent because their hospitals are struggling to cope. Uh, The ambulance service is struggling as well uh so the sort of working together th- through the different hospitals has been really vital to try and keep out keep open hospital beds and also um you know critical care beds uh, and any of that is also going to have an impact on general practice not only because that reflects the number of people who are ill in the community but also if hospitals stop doing any of the elective care then that has a knock-on in in patients who uh want to go to hospital and uh, or can't get into hospital, or their outpatients have been cancelled, so they'll contact their practice. So COVID is here. Um, the, uh, if you look at it, the evidence is still pretty clear that uh, if you take the uh, over 50s, then that accounts for 99% of the people who sadly lose their life with COVID. So it does tend to split um, at that sort of junction. So if you get it below that, The chance of being seriously ill with it is less. It's not zero, it's less. As you go over 50, and certainly as you start going towards 70 and above, the risks escalate. And then if you add the other factors into that, so if you look at um, a number of things like um, if you're male, you tend to do worse than female, if you're obese, if you've got long term conditions, so you can add all those things into it to. Um, increase your risk factors so where we are at the moment um we're trying to slow the spread so the hands face uh, and space bit is all about trying to slow the spread of the virus the lockdown again is the second control measure that we're trying to do to stop the spread of the virus but in all honesty, the only way we're going to control this and sort it out is the vaccination program so if i move on to that so uh virtually all our sites, so we've got um, probably in excess of 60 sites, um, local vaccination centres, community centres or primary care centres, whatever you want to call them, but basically in PCN grouping. So all bar about three of those are live and working now. There are some which are going live next week. Um, So far, um, we've vaccinated more over 80s and more of our percent of our population than most other areas so we've had supplies of Pfizer BioNTech vaccine come in and this week we've got the first supply of the AstraZeneca so there's quite a lot of push to get into care homes so as you know we've now spaced out the dosing from 21 days to 12 weeks and the incentive to um, look at the cohort one which is the care home and the carers um, that um, has a supplementary payment for it so by the end of This month, they're hoping that the vast majority of care homes and carers will be vaccinated. The over 80s, some areas are making really good progress and have vaccinated most of their over 80s. And they're looking more at health and social care workers and at um, looking at the over 75s, which you're allowed to go to if you've done your over 80s. There's a lot of discussion about what does frontline health and social care workers mean? So, you know, that's easy enough in practice or in a hospital to say, well, that's, you know, people delivering frontline care, but where does that leave the dentist, the optometrist, the um, carers in the community? So we're hoping today there's going to be a more definitive list published nationally, which will make it really clear about how people will access, access these services and when. The AstraZeneca vaccine is obviously more stable, but um, it will start coming through to practices, but not in large volumes for the next week or so. So we are expecting to continue to use the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine as well as the uh, AstraZeneca vaccine, and others may come online uh, in the next few weeks or so. If you listen to the Prime Minister's uh, announcements uh, the other night, what they're hoping that we do is we vaccinate all the over-70s, so that's the over-80s, and most of the health and social care workers by mid-February. And then... The aim is that by the end of March, we will have given the first dose to everybody over 50. And then obviously we're going to have to give a second dose. And then there is the discussion about what happens to the 16 to 50 year olds and how we do that. So if you look at the numbers, they can be um, quite eye-watering to see how we're going to get through that numbers. But by my calculation, the average PCN grouping is going to need to do um, just over a thousand vaccines a week. So, part of our challenges is if you tell us how much is needed to be done and you can supply the vaccine, general practice is um, very used to to delivering things if we know exactly what it is and we get the resources to do it. Um, When we look at the three, or there are four sites of delivering this, so we've got the hospital hubs, so they're largely vaccinating their staff at the moment. They are pulling in some... uh, care staff, and they are doing the over-80s that are attending the hospital. We've got the large vaccination sites, which are now up and running in various areas, and they're in a sort of pod module so they can scale up the numbers they deliver, and they're aiming to deliver between 1,000 and 3, or 4,000 per day in those mass vaccination centres. And then there's obviously the community ones, which are run in the PCN groupings. As we go forward, we're expecting that um, if the AstraZeneca one becomes widely available, then we may be able to do more of that at practice level. But at the moment, um, it is the deliveries, the logistics of it will still be going through the single PCN site. Um, There are probably a number of questions to do with it, And I probably won't go through all the stuff, but just to say the PGD has been altered for the Pfizer-BioNTech one to include the sixth dose and the increased spacing between the dose. And we're expecting the AstraZeneca one to come out uh, either today or tomorrow and the national protocol. Initially the AstraZeneca one was still a 15 minute observation period that we hope if everything goes well in the hospital vaccination sites then that will not continue but at the moment it's that's the advice that we've been given nationally hopefully um, before uh, too long and I'm talking the next day or two that requirement may may be removed. Um, I think, Louise, I'll stop there because I could go on quite a lot longer, but probably better to um, have some questions and then um, go on to the other reports uh, or updates you've got.
0: Okay, thanks, Nigel. Um, So farm outcomes for COVID vaccination administration, can it be done after the visit to care homes or at the time of vaccination on a laptop?
1: Um, Um, My advice is is do it at the time. We've had a significant event where a 14-year-old was vaccinated in a care home um, I think good practice is that you you log on to the... You take your um, iPad, which you've been provided with, or your laptop you've been provided with, log on to Farm Outcomes and do it while you're at the site. That is by far the safest way of doing it and, and hopefully will avoid any errors.
0: OK, thank you. You said the AstraZeneca vaccine will start to come out to practice next week. Is that at practice level or still at PCN level? I know.
1: OK, be absolutely clear, and you're, you're right to pick me up. They are coming out... Uh, so the some of the waves this week, um, and that's wave one, two, and three, are getting nine seven five Pfizer biontech four hundred AstraZeneca, and a box of seventy five Pfizer to do some of the care homes as well. So that's the standard delivery. We are challenging that to say, you know, we've got one PCN site where six or well, six PCNs have come up together to deliver from one site, and they're getting a single um, box of nine seven five, and then the other smaller ones are getting exactly the same. So we are trying to um, push that the groupings of PCNs get the supplies that they need rather than what's being pushed out from the centre. But that that may well change in the next week or two.
0: Okay. I mean, one practice is saying, um, we've been told we're not getting any vaccines next week, but we're willing and ready to do 1170 every weekend. And yet we can't if we don't get the supply.
1: No, well, uh, others have said that and I can't quite understand why uh, places aren't going to get the vaccine next week. So I'll, I will, do you know which area that's from?
0: No, Mel, if, if you just, just, just tell what practice you're from or which area you're from, that would be really helpful and we can just, then Nigel can follow that up. That would be great. Thank you. Um, and just some information about, um this coming in for following, oh, Brook Lane surgery, Fairman Gosport.
1: Okay. Um, we'll pick that up. I mean, some of it is last week they were trying to push the Pfizer-BioNTech out um, and they were asking sites to take extra doses. I think with all the hospitals coming on board, I, 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 they won't tell us exactly how much supply they've got nationally, although you know it's been announced in the BBC that we've got 4 million AstraZeneca and we've got a million Pfizer-BioNTech. Um, it's changing all the time. And I think if you look at it, some of the um, numbers are what the... Is not that there are vials ready to be shipped, but that's what's sort of in the pipeline to come to us. Okay. I, so will, I, will, put, I will pick that up now.
0: Comment back from Mel, just saying if they're running out of the over 80s in their PCNs, yeah. that well, you, maybe Mel, why they're
1: not? You can go to the over 75s and then look at more health and social care workers. At the moment, they're very sensitive that if one area starts then going to the 60-year-olds and start going beyond, and there are some sites that aren't starting till next week, And that's causing some challenge about equity and i have to say i I struggle slightly i think we should just be we should just get on and do the best we can in in each local area not not go at the space of the slowest but i know you know there has been some really negative social media cover where people are you know going outside those groups and how it's being perceived
0: okay thank you and just follow up to the um the deliveries so week beginning 11th of January we're actually receiving 300 AstraZeneca no Pfizer for our PCN site which is wave two and looking at the spreadsheet for those for Pfizer around the 50 practices there's one box of 975 and two boxes of 975 it seems sounds like it isn't a consistent message and there isn't a consistency well, about things coming out
1: I think there is a consistent message so I think if you're getting mixed messages go through your primary care leave and I don't know again I don't know which county it is I mean I I declare an interest that I'm the clinical lead in Hampshire and the Isle of Wight. so... this Hampshire practice. Okay, well, perhaps email me offline. Chandler's Ford. Sorry? Chandler's Ford. Okay, well, we can pick it up offline, but I think the the emails I've seen is is a pretty consistent message what you're going to get, and we can't vary it. And I, I think if you're talking about 300, you must be getting four boxes of the 75, so...
0: They said they'll email you to get to take that up later after at the meeting. Thanks, Nigel. There's no more on that at the moment. Did everyone just pick up the, the long COVID now? Yeah, no, just, we,
2: sorry. Sorry, just, there, are, there are a few things we're getting quite a lot of queries. Um, so first of all, Nigel, would you mind mentioning something about the national booking um, yeah. system? I think that's starting next week.
1: So we are, as Carol just said, um, she's asked me the question and then answered it in, in true Carol style. <laughs> so. <laughs> The the expectation, and um, I say it's an expectation. We're told that the national booking system will come live next week, um, but you know these things in the NHS. They, they next week sometimes it's the week after. But once that is up and running, the large vaccination centres they'll be able to people will be able to book on there, and also I think for the hospital hubs, and then the, the local vaccination services. So, i.e. the Um, PCN groupings you will have a choice whether you put slots on there or not but we're expecting more information to come out about that uh, later on this week.
2: And and the other thing I think um, that we've talked about recently is about the additional staff the funding that's available and how to get them.
1: So um, you will all know that um, the 150 million which has been um, come down for Um, general practice staff expansion over the winter so there is a a capitation based payment which most ccgs have done on capitation which will come out to practices which is there to help you with your capacity over the winter and expand your staff and you can use that for the covid vaccination program or other services to your patients and there is some being used for the oximetry at home so you know if you're looking at um, expanding that, then some practices are engaging with locums or other members of staff that they have available and they use regularly. Some of the people who work part-time are increasing the hours and they're using that funding to pay for it, or you can go through the local workforce bureaus. Um, in each of the areas, we're working with those to try and make it as simple as possible um, and so that you can contact them, and then if you want to a vaccinator, a nurse, a doctor, then you can draw down those staff. You will have to pay for them. They're not a free good. But also we need to be really clear. I know there's quite a lot of doctors who have uh, retired and offering to come back. If you're going to bring those back, just be really clear what you want them to do. Are they just going to be a vaccinator, i.e. the same as an HCA or somebody else who's just literally um, jabbing people? Or are you asking them to be a clinical lead and doing the full clinical thing? So if somebody has an anaphylactic reaction they will be responsible for managing it etc and I think quite a lot of the doctors I've talked to who are returning just want to help out they're not trying to become a a fully fledged um, doctor as such so it is probably just really useful if you've got people volunteering to come back just being really clear what role you will take them in and if you're going to take them in particular roles then there are some guidelines about what you would pay for those roles um, and what responsibilities so are you're going to pay people on the basis of the responsibility? and that's why when you look at the costings of this, um, having a model where you've got a mixture of people, and that's why you know the Pfizer one is particularly difficult when you need a clinician to consent and mix and draw up, and then you can have somebody else administering it It, it makes most practices have done that with largely with clinical teams doing it with the AstraZeneca, because you're not going to have to mix up, um, it should become easier.
2: And I think one of the the final questions that, that, people are getting confused about whether or not staff who've been shielding once they're vaccinated can come back to work. So there seems to be a, there's a confusion between whether or not you've been given immunity or whether you've just been given something that will reduce the seriousness. So can you just clarify yeah. that? please?
1: Not so, let's, so let's be really clear then. So when they did the studies, um, both of the Pfizer and the AstraZeneca, they had two cohorts. There were those that got the active vaccine and those that got the placebo. So in, in both of the um, trials, they had people that caught COVID and some of them became seriously ill and admitted to hospital. In both of the vaccine trials, nobody who had the active vaccine became seriously ill or was admitted to hospital or died. So we know that the both of the vaccines give you really good protection So if you look at um, the flu vaccination every year, the estimate, it gives you 40 to 60% efficacy, whereas we're talking about these two jabs giving you 90%. So neither will totally prevent you from getting COVID, but the evidence suggests that if you do get it, you don't get it as badly as you might have done if you um, hadn't been vaccinated. But remember, the trials were all done on fit, healthy people who didn't have any allergies under the age of 55 and over the age of 18. So what we can't say is have the vaccine, you'll be protected. And if you're in a shielded group, you don't need to worry about it because you won't catch it. We can't say that. So the vaccine will hopefully prevent you getting it. Or if you do get it, you'll get it more mildly. But it doesn't mean you can change your behaviour. So you can't suddenly take your mask off, go and work in a hot site and say, don't worry, I'm totally immune. I could do what what I like. So it, it, it sadly doesn't change it. The AstraZeneca vaccine, there is some early evidence that suggests that it reduces transmission so that if you do catch it, you may not transmit it. But again, there is more work being done on that and it's early suggestions rather than it's published evidence. So ho- hopefully that clarifies it, Carol.
2: Yeah, that's great. Thank you. That's, I think that was uh, most of the queries that we're getting, guys. Michelle, Dawn, Lisa, I'm looking at you. Is there anything else that we're getting a lot of? No, thank you.
1: OK, then the long COVID. So um, what, what we must be uh, just... What needs to get out to the general public is that you know people know that if you're older... Um, or you're one of the risk factors, if you catch COVID, it can be really serious. And sadly, you can be admitted to hospital and you can die from it. So we get these uh, daily figures on the news which tell you how many people have tested positive, how many people have lost their lives and how many people have been admitted to hospital. And there is a view amongst certain bits of the population, i.e. some of the younger people, that, well, COVID doesn't really matter because, um, you know, it's a mild illness um, particularly in children, but in young adults, um, you know, you'll know, you get COVID and then you'll get over it. You know, It's a bit like flu, it can make you feel really grotty, but you'll get over it. What they don't say is that a significant percentage of people are getting this condition called long COVID. And long COVID will be brilliantly described in the textbooks probably in about five years' time, and we'll know a huge amount about it. At the moment, we don't. But what we do know is that some people um, who get it get this post-viral fatigue or chronic fatigue syndrome-like. So they get severe lethargy, headaches, aching all over, and that can go on for anything up to 12 weeks. And most of them will then resolve, but not all of them. And they can cause cardiac problems, respiratory problems, neurological problems, renal problems, and other problems. And some of those are more long-lasting. So um, it is not a benign illness that you can just, um, if you're you know, young and under 50, just be blase about. And obviously, the other risk is that there is quite a lot of spread in households. So um, younger people can take the virus home and then spread it to older relatives. Now, the long COVID clinics, so everywhere um, in the country is now established long COVID clinics. If you have specific organ damage, so renal, uh, heart and respiratory, the, the likelihood is you'll be referred to the um, respiratory or the cardiac clinic. But if you get some of the more general long COVID clinic, then there are services being established in all, or have been established in all, all areas. And I'll, um, they will manage mainly some of the uh, mental health problems, but also some of these um, long Standing fatigue, um, aches, etc., etc. And I'll probably hand back to Carol, who's got a bit more detail about where the clinics are.
2: In the southwest, the regional team is is led by uh, somebody called Rachel Levinson, and we'll give you her uh, email address so that if you need to refer somebody or you need some information. You can go to Rachel. So, Southwest, so that's for Dorset and BSW. And in the South East, Hampshire and Isle of Wight, it's a lady called Vanessa Amel Cullen. And again, we'll put her um, email address in the chat bar and in the FAQs so that if you need uh, to make contact, those are the people you go to. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Carol. Just Nigel, just one Just final clarification, please. Do we know yet when the AstraZeneca vaccine will be coming out at practice level?
1: No, Um, it may well happen, but it will will take a few weeks. I mean, logistically, they're currently delivering to 11,000 local vaccination sites, i.e. the PCN ones, um, over um, 100 hospital sites, plus the larger, they just logistically can't deliver it to every practice. So that may well happen. The only thing I would say to practices is, could you manage that if it comes to practice? If you've got your service, which is shared amongst two or three practices, could you deliver? Could you carry on delivering it like that? So there will be some flexibility, but um, I wouldn't hold your breath. It's going to happen in the next three to four weeks. It may happen after that, but it's not going to happen immediately.
2: Can I just add something? As I was on a call with the Dorset people yesterday, and interestingly, and I'm sure the other areas are doing exactly the same, but they're they're, um, auditing where the prevalence of COVID positiveness is in general practice. And it turns out that it's predominantly in the backroom staff um, rather than the clinicians, because the clinicians are PPE'd up and they're doing all the right things, but the backroom staff, even though they might be making their own coffees and they're not sharing cups, apparently there's a lot of um, there's been a reduction in hand washing and the space needed and things like that. So it might just be worth reminding your staff that you know even though there might be fairly isolated in in the back room of the surgery etc they are still at risk and and it is still transmitting so um, I think it's it's just worth uh, raising that.
0: Thank you Carol I think we're going to move on to um, non-COVID things now Um, so Carol I think you were going to talk a little bit about contracts and updates.
2: Yeah, just, just a little bit. Um, so you, if they ever get around to it, your CCGs will now be sending you um, your revised contracts. So these are all the changes that were made from October uh well, actually 2019, coming into 20. So it's the stuff around the um, additional roles, enhancements. It's about the six to eight week check for um, new mothers, uh, about the coif changes and everything. So you will get that and you do need to sign it, but, but don't worry too much about it. What I really want to stress to you is that the prioritisation of the work that you're doing now is affected by whatever tier area you're in. And of course, we're all in a big uh, level five tier. There is a really fantastic document that the BMA and the RCGP have put out which so, shows you the different tiers and shows you what the priorities are for the work that has to be done. Because I think a lot of people are saying, we've still got to keep doing this, we've got to keep doing that. We're worried about catch-up. Please don't worry about it. That The stuff that needs to be done has, has always needed to be done, the childhood IMS, um, some of the screening work. But the rest of it, I think you just have to say, we'll do what we can do. Um, obviously, you're still going to have patients that that will have strokes that will have heart attacks etc and you are going to need to deal with the but we'll put that link to that document because I think it gives you some clarity as to you know making sure that actually the vaccination program is your main priority now okay
0: thanks Carol that's quite reassuring um Michelle I think moving on to you now um, ethnicity I think is what you're starting with
3: yeah, I've got a couple of things um, that you may already be aware of, actually. I think they were released in the NHSE bulletin recent recently, but thought we would just highlight them for everybody. Um, so the first one is ethnicity. So from the 1st of January, it did become a contractual requirement for GPs to record patients' ethnicity within their patient record if they provide it to you. It is optional. They don't have to provide it. And actually, it shouldn't affect their registration if they choose not to provide it. There is an option for you to code, prefer not to say. I was frantically trying to find it um, so that I could share that with you, but I I can't, so I'll put it in the frequently asked questions. Um, The other thing just to mention, Arden's has some useful information on their website, particularly around ethnicity coding. And we believe the categories are going to be, are based on the consensus information. So that's all I wanted to say on ethnicity. The second um, item within the bulletin was around the cessation of the Lloyd George envelopes. Uh, You may, again, already be aware of this. And in in light of the digitalisation programme, I think it was the end of December, they are going to stop sending any Lloyd George envelopes for babies, First entrance to the NHS and any new patients who may be recreating a Lloyd George or need a new envelope, which um, hopefully will reduce the burden associated with moving the patient records around the system. It also means that practice will no longer receive transit labels to move records, um, but you are able to still order the Lloyd George envelopes should you need to. I think the only thing just to add to that is. Any patient who sadly passes away, you do still need to share and print off their medical records and send back the Lloyd George envelope, because that then goes into archive as it would do for any patient who um, leaves the country. So the final topic I just wanted to talk about, which is my favourite topic, which is flu. So, this is in relation to the ordering of flu vaccines for the 21-22 period. And we're all, I think we're all aware or maybe aware that the JCVI back in November, December time reported on the vaccinations that. Um, can be used for the different cohorts for the next flu season. However, what we are waiting on is the public health information on what will be reimbursed. And this is the key bit. And I know they were asking practices not to place orders until that information was available or ensure that you've negotiated with the supplier um, that you can change your order should you need to. Um, We've contacted um, one of our public health teams in the last week. We believe that the letter and the information should be available this week around reimbursement. So as soon as we receive it, we will share it with practices. Um, And quite rightly, we're getting quite a lot of questions on this because I'm sure practices are wanting to get this sorted. So as soon as we've got it, we'll share it with you.
0: Thanks, Michelle. That's really helpful. Um, Lisa, I think you've got a couple of bits.
4: Louise, just yeah, just a couple. Um, PCN dashboard will be fully released in February next month, um, and PCNs will be able to see a range of data, um, including some of the benefits of their deliver that they're delivering on. So, information on performance on the IIF, on delivery of PCN um, services and workforce. So that's one to perhaps keep an eye out for. And the other one I just wanted to mention was just around Brexit and access to healthcare. So no real changes to patient registrations, access to primary care or GP services and a will still be free. Um, residency will be dependent on whether the individual is ordinarily resident. It won't, won't be based on their nationality, payment of UK taxes, or anything like that. So they may be, people living board may, may be required um, to pay for some secondary care services. But just a reminder that access to GP services stays the same.
0: Lovely. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you very much for listening. We know it's really busy and we're still here to help you. Anything we can do, just let us know. Um, And as I say, the next um, webinar will be a news webinar hosted by Nigel on the 27th of January. So thank you very much all for taking part and and we will see you all another time. Bye-bye. Wessex LMC's supporting you and your practice.